Hello and welcome to the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. We'll be chatting through everything from Festival 2018 to the backstage crew and beyond. I'm George Bailey and I will be your host for this series. Joining me will be a whole bunch of incredible guests in interviews, chats and other fun segments. So sit back, relax and enjoy what we have in store for you. So I'm here with the wonderful Charlotte Jones, who has written one of Festival 2018's new plays, The Meeting. Charlotte has also written for TV, radio and film, and her other notable works include Humble Boy, which has enjoyed productions at the National Theatre, and more recently The Orange Tree, as well as her first play, Air Swimming, which played at the Battersea Arts Centre in 1997. Hello Charlotte, how are you doing? Hi, I'm very good, thank you. So when did you first start writing, and what, if you can remember, sparked your interest in writing for theatre? I think I started writing quite late, really, when I was about 28. I was an actress before that. I had done an English degree, and I had always loved writing essays and compositions at school. But I thought I wanted to be an actress, so I trained as, as an actress. And then I just got very frustrated with waiting for the phone to ring, and I thought I would write a play in order to be in it to get a new agent. So I wrote Air Swimming and I got a literary agent out of it and not an acting agent, (laughs) which wasn't the result that I was looking for. But then I started to get much more work as a writer and and I just felt much more at home being a writer and... So pretty soon I, 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 complete, I completely stopped acting. And so obviously, as we said, you've written for many different mm. forms, so TV, mm. radio. What is the difference in working in those different environments? Like, is there many differences between theatre and TV, for instance? Yeah, that's, it's a big question, that. The thing that they have in common is that you're trying to find a good story to write and asking the question, what, are the, what is the story that we need to hear as a society at the moment? I think I would start with that question in whatever medium I was working in. I think the obvious difference between theatre and TV is, well, theatre, there's a lot more words, really, and obviously TV, it tends to be much more shorter scenes and less words, less speeches... And in TV, you can go to many, many different locations. So that, that's the most obvious difference. I mean, TV writing is quite challenging at times. It's much more, there's much more of a committee to, and you have to collaborate with script editors and producers when you're working on a series. But it's a really great discipline and it's a really, really good to do TV, I think, as a writer, to really hone your story skills because... TV eats story, so you have to, you know, just work really, really hard on on your plot. And I think, for instance, that's really helped me in writing The Meeting, because The Meeting, in a way, is a psychological thriller, and I've worked on a few of those in TV. But theatre gives you enormous freedom as a writer, I think. And I certainly feel more of an auteur when I'm writing for theatre, and... um, and the beginning process is very much myself in my loft, writing what I want to write, rather than trying to please a commissioner or um, or anybody else in that matter. But they all have pluses and minuses. I also love writing for radio. Radio is really writer-friendly, but there, of course, you have to completely create the visuals. Um, so I tend to write... I, I tend to take it in turns writing 
TV, then theatre, basically until I get fed up of one and then I think, well, that I'm, I'm sick of all those people, I'll try and do, do something else now. And I, lately I've been doing film, I've got three films on the go, and that has been a really lovely world to be in actually, because in film they don't ask so much, uh, how will we get this past, this project past the commissioners, is this you know a, a subject that ITV viewers will want? That they're very much asking bigger questions that you do as a playwright as well of of like what 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 do we need to hear what what's why is this story important, um, and you tend to have fewer people in the process so that has felt easier for me but the the downside with film is that can, you can be lost in development for years and years and years and there's no guarantee that it will ever be made um, because it's just very difficult and dependent on casting and finance. Honing in more into like theatre and plays, what is your role like as the writer in the room? Does it kind of vary from project to project or is it? Yes, I mean actually in the past I think I've, I haven't been in the room that much and it depends what directors you're, you're working with really, whether they want the writer there. I mean I've always been there for, obviously for the read through and normally for the first few days of rehearsals when the actors normally depending on the director sit round at a table and ask lots of questions. But actually on the on the meeting I'm working with Natalie Abrahami and she has very much wanted me there a lot of the time to to just ask questions about well everything really. So um she's incredibly open like that and it's been really nice and actors do come up to me and ask questions why am I saying this now and and sometimes they tell me that they shouldn't be saying that <laughs> now so there's been a bit of negotiation and everything but um yeah normally I'd be in for the first week and then I might go away because I think it's also important for the actors to claim it for themselves and sometimes having the right of it can be a bit intimidating and then I and then I come back when they start running and give notes basically but um, but this one has been nice, so I, I felt very much more part of the process. Mm. Have you enjoyed being in the room? Yes, I have. And I think that's because I've been doing loads and loads of screenwriting. And I've spent lots of time just in my loft on my own. And so and I'm reminded how much I like being with actors, actually, and, and, and directors and creatives. And I love being around their vulnerability, actually, and when they're trying to find a part. And... And it's much more fun. I mean, actors normally, unless you're having a terrible rehearsal process, have a lot of fun in rehearsals and there's lots of laughter. And even though the meeting is quite a, a serious play in some ways, we've had a lot of laughter and we've had the added dimension that we've got a deaf actor in the room as well. So um, I have very much enjoyed being in the room, yeah. So all your plays, they're kind of, they're very delicately selected in their characters and settings and kind of mm. environments that they take place in. Mm. Where do you look for your inspiration? Does it kind of just come to you or do you have to actively kind of seek it out almost? I said, that's such a hard question. I mean, people do always ask you that. You know, one of my oldest friends was, where do you get your ideas from? I think you don't really know because I think that some of it is unconscious. I mean, I don't tend to write issue plays. So I, I normally always come from relationship um, and people but I like to have a strong sense of landscape, of the world, of, of, and in my plays, of, of what element is do dominant um, in, in the world of the play. I mean, I think that it's, it's a process of osmosis in a way. I think that you are always picking things up and, and looking at things. And, you know, I watch a lot of documentaries and just real people. That's, you know, that's where I get my inspiration from. 
And I think also it was funny because Humble Boy was um, revived this year at the Orange Tree after 17 years. And seeing it again, I, I realised how autobiographical it is in a way that I just didn't realise when I wrote it first of all. And so I think in some ways that plays come from your scar tissue. I think they come from your sort of the wound, your wounds. <laughs> they come from something that you need to explore as a, as a person and you're not entirely in control of that. So when you're kind of developing a piece and kind of going through drafts and redrafting, do you have a kind of network of people that you share your work with that will be honest with you? Well, I always give it to my husband. He's obviously not allowed to be honest about <laughs> it. He just has to be completely supportive. Yeah, I do have, I've built that, you build it up over the years, I think. You find the people that you really trust who are your best editors. Um, and certainly the meeting was read by both of um, the directors that I've worked with before, Anna Matlin and John Caird. I've learned as a writer not to send my scripts out to everyone. I remember with my very first script, I sent it literally to everyone, virtually stopped people in the street to say, read my script. But I think it's a real mistake to canvas too many opinions. And I've really worked on knowing what I know about the piece and then just having one or two or three people who I will go to to ask. And then obviously now it's in production. Once Natalie came on board, then I only talked to her about it and Kate Bassett as well, the literary manager. So, so then, I, then I completely stop asking other people about it. And I think that's, some, that's something that's really important for writers is not to take every opinion and not to let yourself, not to let your plays be written by committee, but to, to really keep hold of your authenticity and your truth. And that's very hard and, it, and you have to learn to say no to people who are offering you advice. And so one last question before we come to the meeting. Mm. You've just spoken about sort of when you first wrote your first play. Mm you kind of wanted to kind of share it with everyone in that. Was there more of an urgency to kind of get yourself out there and get your plays out there and get something on stage in your early part of career? Because mm. as you spoke about the meeting, you said it's kind of been something that's been in development for a little while. Is that something that you've matured and grown with to learn that things do take these time and you need to take more time over? Um, I don't think it was as much of a choice as that. I wrote the first one to get an acting agent obviously failed at that and then then I did have more urgency with the in flame and I, I became the writing residence at, at the Octagon Theatre in Bolton and I was writing at least a play a year then um, but then what I mean things happened in my life I had very young children I moved out of London and it became the theatre hours are very difficult when you have young children. So it became much easier for me to write for TV or radio. And I also, I mean, this is really my problem, that I don't like being very visible. And sometimes I find theatre quite exposing. And first nights, and there's a lot of attention on a, on a writer with a new piece. Um, and I just was very sensitive, and I found it, I found it really bruising. So I did, I consciously stepped away from it. But I did start writing the meeting, well, I think it was 10 years ago, but I, I, I can't tell you the precise date. And I had it as a sort of passion project, and I didn't have any expectation of a production, but I just, 
had it as a refuge for myself that I always had something that was exactly what I wanted to write while I was trying to adapt books for TV or um, meet someone else's vision. And so it sort of has got a production by accident in a way. I feel a bit like my whole theatre career has been by accident, but I, I just never really had a very good relationships with buildings. I've had relationships with freelance directors and with commercial producers, but not with buildings. So that's why it's lovely to be here now. Yes, it was sent in the end by, this is probably your next question, by John Caird, I think, sent it to Daniel and Kate read it and said, we want to do it. And I knew nothing about that at all. And then they, Daniel invited me for dinner. And I thought, oh, maybe he wants to, me to write a new play. And he said, oh, no, no, well, we want to do the meeting. And I just said, well, but why? <laughs> <laughs> because I had really detached from any kind of results of, of wanting the, the play to be produced. And I think that is quite a good exercise, actually, because... It's a very slow world, the world of writing in many ways. And often you send your scripts out into the ether and you don't know when people are going to read them and they never read them immediately. You know, it can take months. If it's film scripts, you don't know if they ever read them. So I think the, the sort of Buddhist detachment is a really good practice. So coming on to the meeting now. Mm. For those that don't know who are listening, could you just tell us a little bit about the story of the meeting? Yes. Well, it's really quite a hard story to tell, so I don't blame anyone who doesn't know. I mean, I think it's the sort of play where they look and go, well, I don't know what that's going to be. But um, it's, it's set in a Quaker community in 1805, which was during the Napoleonic Wars. So England is at war. We're in Sussex. We're, we're on the coast. And the Quaker community are being threatened and persecuted by the townspeople because they are pacifists. Among this uh, community, there is a deaf woman and her daughter who have come probably 10, 15 years ago to live in the community because Rachel, the daughter, is married to Adam, who is a stonemason. And in the play, we learn very early on that Adam and Rachel cannot have children. And Adam declares that he wants a an apprentice. Rachel meets a young soldier on the road and persuades him to come and be Adam's apprentice. And the play is about what happens next. Having read your interview with the stage recently, mm. you spoke about your experience of visiting a Quaker meeting for mm. five years in Lewis, mm. and you didn't have the intention of writing a play which was just really fascinating to me. Um, so what was it that first... Why would you go made, otherwise? Well, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what was it that first made you want to visit these meetings? I grew up Roman Catholic. My mother was very, very strict Roman Catholic and I was educated at a convent from when I was four to when I was 18. So Catholicism just really runs in my bloodstream. But where I went to, to Mass when I was young, opposite, there was a Quaker meeting. And my mother said that they were, it was a terrible cult and I should just keep away from it. But I remember just always gazing in there and seeing it had a really beautiful garden. And I just felt a sort of pull towards it. And then I, I sort of gave up Catholicism probably when I was at university. And probably when I started doing lots of theatre, actually. I kind of theatre was my new religion. But then when I had children, so in my late 30s, early 40s, I did start to think, you know, do, do I have an obligation to teach them to believe in anything? And I also just wanted, 
I wanted some kind of practice and I wanted a bit of silence because I had these two very demanding young children. And I have always just had this slight thing about Quakerism from seeing that Quaker house in Worcester when I was young. And I remember I was in Boston and walking across the common one day and there was a group of Quakers who were doing a silent protest against the Gulf War. And I remember being really impressed by it and thinking, oh, I'm... It was compelling in a way that people shouting with banners and drums and protesting in, that, in a very noisy way, that it, it drew me in much more. So I found them kind of fascinating. And, uh, you know, and they crop up in history all the time, kind of a, a behind lots of brilliant nonviolent movements like prison reform with Elizabeth Fry and abolition of slavery. So my, my thought was that they were generally a good thing. But yes, it was just I wanted to... I, I think I'm a seeker in life. And I just, I just saw this meeting. The meeting house in Lewis is incredibly beautiful. It was built in 1784. It has an amazing garden. And it's surrounded by these beautiful flint walls that you see, particularly in East Sussex. Um, and I just... I wanted to check it out. So... Yeah, I went in just really, I mean, I was looking for meaning, I suppose. And and also we decided we wanted to do something with our kids on a Sunday that was not to do with going to a shopping mall or watching the TV, but that was just something a bit different. And I mean, Quakers, for people who don't know, they, they worship in silence until someone is moved to speak. And it's a very, very beautiful practice, actually. And nobody is in charge, and they believe in certain testimonies, uh, which are just testimonies of really values by which you're supposed to live by. So peace, equality, simplicity, justice, increasingly sustainability. And I kind of really thought there's not much to argue with that. So I went for my life, really, for my development as a person rather than as a playwright. And so we've talked a lot about the setting of the play and the Quaker community, but of course the play has so much more than just that. It's got kind of these universal themes and you know, a story about mothers and, and daughters and, and husbands and wives and love. Mm. And how we treat outsiders, which seems quite pertinent to today's world almost. Mm. Is this something that you were aiming for? I mean, was that intrinsic to the original story that you wanted to write? I think that I certainly wanted to look at how we live peacefully in community and I think that is always topical. I, I, I never start a play thinking I'm going to write something topical. I'm, I think I'm quite different to someone like James Graham, you know, he had quiz on here which was, you know, I think he's quite brilliant but I never approach a play like that. It's always from wanting to, having a feeling, having an image, wanting to explore a relationship and I, ha I thought I wanted to set it in a Quaker community because sitting in, uh, sitting in a circle and waiting to see if anyone is going to speak felt inherently theatrical for me. Um, and then I really wanted to write... I, the relationship I, I began with was the relationship between a deaf adult and their child. And I read a lot about that. And I'd heard Richard Griffiths, the actor, speak about... Because he was a coder, a child of a deaf adult. Both his parents were deaf. And he talked about how he had to speak for them from when he was very, very young and how he used to listen to the radio. And the radio was like the key to the outside world for him. And I just became fascinated with that, with the interdependency, the codependency of that relationship 
and the ways in which it might be burdensome for a child of a deaf adult and at what stage do they feel that they can be truly independent from their parent. So it, it started from that. But yes, I think I'm very, very interested in, in non-violence. And um, I mean, I think one of the most powerful non-violent movements at the moment are those, those kids in America who are standing up to the NRA. I think her name is Emma Gonzalez, this tiny uh, student, you know, with shaven head and holding rallies and lying down in the streets. And, and I feel like we need more and more stories like that. It's really important for our development as human beings. Um, and so, I, yes, I wanted to see, I wanted to really examine where does violence spring from and where would it spring from, from a completely peaceful an intentionally peaceful community so yes so it started with that but it's not like I have a, a tick list of issues and themes that I want to you know I start with the people and the place and then see what comes and in terms of redrafting and editing mm. has there been a huge progression from that first draft and are things still changing in rehearsal yes there has I think writing is rewriting I mean, I always write a first draft and think, oh, well, I am William Shakespeare. That's an absolute <laughs> genius. And then you have to put it aside and then come back to it and, and realise that you're not. But um, actually, when I first wrote this play, I put lots of dance in it. I was going through a stage where I really didn't like proscenium arch theatre. And um, I think I'd gone a bit site-specific and a bit contemporary dance. And so I, I wrote lots of dance through it. And... I did send it out to someone and they, they literally went on, oh, I don't know what this is. This is this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and so I put the play away for a bit and then I came back and just thought, what is the story? What is the essence of the story? So I, then I cut, cut the dance. But it's had a really long process and there's been like two years in the middle where I didn't look at it at all. But I feel I've really distilled it and the play is very much about how we use language. And... If silence is your practice, it really makes you weigh words. And it may, Quakers talk about discernment, so that you really shouldn't react immediately when people speak to you. You should sit with what the emotion that what they're saying brings in, out in you, and then you should speak. And it's a wonderful practice, actually. It's a practice that everyone should do. And so I wanted the language to be incredibly pure and that there would be no wasted words really and I think that just takes time to to, to distill it and distill it down um, and then latterly I've worked with Natalie and Kate I mean the ending of the play has changed a lot and uh, something that I asked the deaf actress to do has had to change a lot to, to fit the deaf actress that we have um, and it's changed in rehearsal as well you know just certain lines and um but yes, I think you have to, you just have to kill your babies when you're a writer and uh, just keep rewriting until you've got it right. And how collaborative is your relationship in the rehearsal room uh, with Natalie in creating the world of the play? Yeah, well, Natalie is incredibly respectful of the text. And I think she's the only person who has read all the various versions, including the Mad Dance version, which she managed not to laugh about. But, um... I mean, she's, a, a, she's got an amazing... She's like an amazing sort of academic in that way. Um, and she wanted to see the genesis of the play and all the different changes. And at various times, she said to me, oh, well, maybe we could keep that line that was in the first draft. And But she also creates uh, an environment where it's not a free-for-all. So 
uh, you know, that, which is wonderful for a, for a writer. So it's not actors. Actors aren't given the space to just decide what happens next. And Kate as well. I work, work, we work with Kate, and Kate has been brilliant at really helping me with the the period language of the play because I knew that I wanted it to before I knew exactly when it was set. I knew that I wanted it to be in the past, and I wanted the language to feel heightened because I wanted to explore quite epic themes. So it felt right to have it in a more antiquated language. But then I've all, my intention has always been that the play is really a lens or a mirror on, on contemporary life. So sometimes I have chosen not to use an, an, a, an antiquated word and to use a more modern word. And, and Kate has been really good at sometimes going to me, well, they would never have said that in 1805, and then we'll have a little tussle, and, and sometimes I'll change it, and sometimes I'll go, yes, but I think for a modern audience watching it, that's okay. So, yes, lo- lots and lots of collaboration. And so one final question to do some summing mm. up. Mm. What is the most exciting thing, and what is the biggest challenge about writing for theatre at the moment? Well, I think th- theatre has a responsibility to respond to what is happening in the world. And there are an awful lot of things that are happening in the world. And there are an awful lot of very difficult things that are happening in the world at the moment. And it's sometimes difficult to have sufficient distance or space to really do subjects justice, I think, if you are responding in in an immediate way to what the news is telling us. I mean, for me, because I'm not a topical writer, I I just think I always want to write plays that stand the test of time, that have universal themes. And then it's just the challenge that any writer has to think, is what I am writing that I think is interesting, theatrical, moving, transcendent, will it reach an audience? And that is just something that you never know. I mean, I love first previews because it's the first time that I see it in, in, you know, the whole thing in front of an audience. And almost that's my favourite incarnation of the play because it's, I, I get to know which bits work and which bits don't. So that transition from just being on your own in your loft in Brighton, like me, um, to, to sitting in an auditorium and and hearing it and seeing it with actors for the first time is always going to be a huge challenge. And I think for, you know, for I am increasingly only interested in theatre that makes me feel things. And, you know, I think I'm just over thesis plays. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I mean, that is the challenge, is that can I touch people's hearts and minds? And I think you will. So it's all good. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Charlotte. It's been lovely chatting to you. Um, The meeting runs in the Never Theatre from 13th July to the 11th of August. I hope the rest of the rehearsals go fantastically well and that the run goes without a hitch. Thank you. We've got a brilliant company, so come and see it. You have been listening to the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please do like and rate our series on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, or leave us a comment on our Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening.